<laughs> I need to put Mercy downstairs. Uh, oh, she's gonna be a butter? Well, what are you doing? I just fed the birds upstairs and uh, I you just have birds too? No, no, no. Well, thing is, I, I, I have a bird feeder and uh, this is a good way to have my cat to leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mercy. Hey everybody, Eric Grenier here. Welcome to this episode of The Numbers. I'm here with Philippe J. Fournier, as always. Uh, Philippe, how are you doing this week? Good morning, Eric. It's It's been a busy one, huh? Uh, we, we were at the uh, Quebec Solidaire Convention in Super uh, Gatineau uh, last weekend. What did you Lots think of, of Gatineau, bulls. by the way? Oh, I you don't know that. I... <laughs> well, the thing is, I only saw the downtown and mm. I only I saw it on a Friday night, uh, and uh, it was quiet. Uh, lots of yeah. concrete, lots of concrete, not many trees. But I don't want the people who get to know to be bad at me. I know you guys have the most beautiful park just next door, uh, which I've been to many times. I had just never been in a hotel and get to know. Uh, so it's a, it's a quiet yeah. place. Downtown Ottawa, downtown Gatineau, uh, at night. Not not a not a lot going on. Um, you go down to Spark Street. You go down to the area close to Parliament. There's not much going on downtown I, Ottawa. Uh, I did not want to sound like the uh, the uh, arrogant Montrealer, but uh, <laughs> it's it's it was quiet. But uh, it was also very cold. So I guess uh, Ligatinois wanted to stay home on that cold Friday night. But it's all good. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll warm up with some uh, discussion of, of polls. Um, I feel like this week was, uh, it's almost as if a lot of the pollsters are putting out their, maybe their last numbers of the year or something like that. We got kind of the trifecta of online polls over the last uh, week from Leger, from Abacus, from Ipsos. And just as we were discussing this, uh, a new poll from Research Code came out. Um, and so I don't like, to me, I think the thing to talk about is... Is the NDP going to pass the Liberals? Yeah. Because aside from that, I'm not seeing much new. Yeah. But these numbers we saw from Nanos as well, came out this week, literally had them tied. Uh, I'm starting to think that it's possible that before the end of the year, we might see a a poll with the Liberals in third. What do you think? The thing is, if if, let's say there is the Liberals lead the NDP by two points, just statistically, we will see one with the NDP ahead. It's just what the nature of statistic is. Um, What I wonder more about is why. Like, I know the Liberals are performing mm. badly right now and we see the numbers the the satisfaction number with Justin Trudeau is again below 30% in that new Leger poll uh, it's the 29 but the, the, it's not like the NDP covered itself in glory either is it by default is it just people that say you know what uh, I, I had enough of those liberals and then you go with Jack Mead saying it's I, I don't see I don't see why Jack Mead Singh suddenly is seeing his, uh, his numbers increase uh, sometimes it's not rational. I, I'm always trying to find reasons in you know the current events why that would happen. But perhaps it's just the liberals are sinking, and at some point they're going to catch the NDP uh, on the way down. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? I think one of the things that's interesting about it, though, is that in Eastern Canada, because Abacus had this interesting breakdown where they looked at the rest of Canada versus Quebec, and, and in the rest of Canada, the two parties were tied. Yeah. Uh, we're not really seeing a rise for the NDP in Atlantic Canada. They're still usually in the mid-teens. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not. We're seeing a point or two up in Ontario, which is big because you know up two points that is more or less gives you an extra point at the national level. Yeah. Uh, but we're not seeing any increase in Quebec. I think it's primarily that the NDP is doing pretty okay in Western Canada, and the Liberals are doing so badly in Western Canada now yeah. that. Uh, that is what is driving the NDP moving up, which isn't really good for seats. In BC, it would make make a difference for seats. Yeah. But in Alberta, there's no chance, really, of the, uh, of the NDP winning a third seat. And in Saskatchewan, they might be able to win one in the north because of, um, yeah. because of the changes in the boundaries. But apart from that... You know the NDP. If they get, if they, if they end up doing ten points better in Alberta and the Prairies, they might be lucky to get one or two seats out of it, right? But uh, I think it's primarily the fact that the Liberal brand in, in Western Canada has become so weak yeah. uh, that a lot of those voters are going to the NDP, even if it won't deliver a lot of seats. You look at the BC breakdown, and again, I know it, those are small sample size, but we have multiple polls. So um, <clears throat> Ipsos has the, uh, the NDP at 25 in BC. Léger has them at 35. Um, and I'm not sure what Abacus, I think it was uh, the high 20s. Uh, oh, yeah, I have it to 29, 29, 29. Yeah. So, I mean, considering the, the, the liberals are down, except Léger. Léger has them at 25, but still, the average is down. Uh, yeah, you would see in the lower mainland and in Vancouver probably a few more NDP seats, seats that are not necessarily leaning conservatives, even though the conservatives could win if they go in the middle, a split vote, right? Um, but how many seats would that be for the NDP? Like total maybe 30? You could imagine a few seats downtown Toronto that would go to the NDP. Uh, in, the, in Atlantic Canada, maybe Halifax. St. John's uh, East. St. John's East, but they, it was because of the candidate. I, I forget his yeah, name right Jack now. But, they have yeah, a exactly. decent candidate now, I think, is the head of the Federation of Labor in Newfoundland and Labrador. So uh, that yeah, might be able okay. to win them a seat. But yeah. In Quebec, we, uh, we, we discussed this in, on Les Chiffres, but maybe Laurier-Saint-Marie. So maybe Guilbeault's seat if, uh, if they do well in Montreal. Is that enough to surpass the Liberals in seats? I mean, ew, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, well, because how many seats yeah. can the Liberals win in Quebec right now? They can win still at least 30, right? They could win uh, 30, yeah. yeah. And so for the NDP to pass the Liberals in the seat count, they yeah. need to, like the Liberals have to almost not win anything else in the rest of the country because the NDP getting to 35-40 right now with these kinds of numbers with the Conservatives so high is really tough, right? So it's hard to see how the Liberals finish third in the seat count if they can hold on to the, what they have in Quebec. However, though, to be fair, I mean, I thought 25 was the floor for the Liberals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like it might not be. So in the, coming, uh, in the coming weeks before Christmas and maybe just after Christmas, if we have the Liberals at 21, <laughs> uh, then all bets are off, right? Uh, and, and the question becomes, and I know you and I are numbers people, so we'll be careful not to stray off our path. But is the NDP suddenly more tempted to pull their support for the Liberals if they can see an opportunity to win more seats than the Liberals, even though it would mean a massive Poilievre majority? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If Either way, if they think that the, they can't avoid a conservative majority at some point, I guess... The potential to replace the Liberals might be enough to have them uh, bring down the government. But 
we still, especially, you know, a lot of people outside of, of uh, Quebec uh, always forget that the Bloc is also there. And the Bloc has more <laughs> seats than the NDP. That's right. And That's right. The Bloc, you know, doesn't really need to have an election. Uh, their prospects for gains are pretty light. It's slim. It's slim. Yeah. Their chances of losing seats are also pretty low. So there's not a, it's an election for the bloc would be mostly just risk, right? Yeah. And I'm not sure if if uh, like we know that they have signaled to the liberals that they're not interested in an election in the short term. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like if if it comes down to voting on something, bringing down a budget, that kind of thing, the liberals don't need to do much to give the bloc enough reason to keep them in office, right? You don't need to give Quebec that much for the bloc to say that this is enough. Eric, do you remember shortly after the uh, the NDP convention in Hamilton, we had this discussion with uh, the uh, Jack Mead Singh's vote of confidence. Wasn't it like 81 or something? I think it was 81%, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And we said it's just good enough without being great that if the NDP doesn't make massive gains in the next election, Jack Mead Singh is out the door. Right? Uh, <laughs> could the NDP be tempted into to go into an election, risking, betting rather, that they would do better than liberals? But you find yourself in a Poilier majority, and then Jack Mitzin can say, "Hey, I took the party to second place." Um, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. It's man. a weird it's scenario, a, right? You it, can't, it's really like, weird. You- Yeah. If you end like let's say you end up in a, the NDP second place or at least ahead of the Liberals, because again the bloc could end up if the if the Liberals are falling so much that they're giving up all of those seats in Quebec, that yeah. probably means the bloc is getting close to forty, uh, right? So official opposition for people yeah, there's like three D chess here with this, right? But like <laughs> let's say the NDP surpasses the Liberals, maybe in the vote, maybe in the seats, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then then it's a win, right? So Jagmeet Singh stays around. Now there'll always be the question of how long he wants to stay around. Uh, he, he he'll be leader by the next election for eight years, which is starting to get to be a long time. Uh, but but if he's leader of the opposition, he's staying. Even though even yeah, though I've said I for so. I, I've yeah. said for some time now that the the, the NDP seem to have lost their killer instinct because clearly it's not working with a jackbeat singing and suddenly you see the liberals sinking like a rock. Um, <laughs> so maybe I'll have to eat my words there. But uh, I don't know. It's We're getting into a weird situation with the conservatives around 200 seats and then suddenly all the other parties have to fight for the crumbs. Um, yeah. And there's no... I mean, I think we've mentioned this earlier, but... Those new polls that we have seen this week, and again, there was many new polls, uh, none of them indicate that the conservatives are still on the rise. They are stabilizing around yeah. the 40% mark, which is good enough. You're going to win if you get 40% yeah, if it. you're Pierre Poilier. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They'll take it. Uh, and so I, I think I wrote this uh, last week uh, on, uh, on 338.ca, if you, if you want to check it out, uh, that uh, now the Poilier can play the trap. He can play defense. He doesn't have to recruit new voters. He's got his coalition right now. That's enough to win. And you have an unpopular prime minister, uh, an NDP leader who, to be frank, is, ne- is, is not a threat, has never been a threat, right? Um, yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be... It's, we've said that for two straight podcasts. I'm going to have to repeat it. It's going to be a long 22 months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the yeah, but uh, we should point out like 
you know, there was a lot of, uh, and we discussed it on our last episode, that, that Polyev and the Conservatives had a not a great week yeah. last week yeah. um, with the vote on Ukraine and having to kind of defend what their position was. And then the thing that Polyev had with the CP reporter, uh, these polls have not really been taken uh, after that. I yeah. think uh, I think one of the polls, maybe the advocates poll, has done just in the few days after the weekend. But I'm wondering if, if, I mean, there's two possibilities. One that this won't matter, that it won't change anybody's votes. Uh, but the second possibility is that it, it'll take a bit more time to kind of filter out. Like mm-hmm. people aren't reacting daily. We're not like in the middle of a campaign, right? That's right. Um, so we'll see. So it's possible that we could see the, the conservative numbers come down if this does have an impact. Uh, but it's also possible that it won't have any impact at all. Everybody has kind of chosen their, their camps, and everything that they see in here is just reinforcing what they already think, right? So that'll be the thing to watch. I'll be curious to see if when Abacus next comes out, maybe, yeah. whether the positive-negative numbers for Poilievre ever changing at all. Uh, I bet they won't, but I, I see what you're saying. And he did look... Very aggressive with that reporter. I know the core base. I don't want. To, I don't want to generalize, but you know what I mean. There, there's a core mm-hmm. base that the mainstream media is against the conservatives, and though so, whatever they can do to humiliate them or crush them or you know answer to them is good. Uh, I don't think that the average voter is like that. But again, he doesn't need to recruit new new voters. And oh, by the way, <coughs> I want to say this uh, when I my anal- my hockey analogy about playing the trap. I had so many people comment, oh, but that's not a good strategy, playing the defense in the third period when you're, uh, when you're leading, you know, you, you get scored on and you, get, uh, you lose that game, it's a risky strategy. I'm sorry, but that's a huge confirmation bias. That's a huge selection bias because most teams that lead in the third period win. <laughs> right. The thing yeah, is, yeah. You, but you remember the comebacks, especially if you're a Leafs fan. You remember the comebacks. Uh, but uh, I don't think Leafs fans remember lots of comebacks. Uh, well, <laughs> it was four one. It was three one, um, but but yeah. It's, so uh, I would say again, if you're in the conservative leadership, just play it cool. On like play the clock, and you're gonna win. Uh, I'm not sure Mr. Poiliev is able to do that, and I'm not sure Jenny Bird wants him to do that. So yeah. uh, it, it could be very risky, but. It has worked so far, so it's not like uh, commentators like uh, you and I and others I've seen in in several media outlets saying that Monsieur Poilier has to be risky. So far, he's looking at numbers. It's like, hey, I must be doing something right. Uh, I'm leading by by a lot against yeah. a, a prime minister that seems to be directionless right now. There's a difference though between playing it safe and not taking risks, right? I think that uh, they can. It's not that they have to start being afraid you know, uh, yeah. of doing or saying anything. But it's just that they don't need to push. You know, they can just kind of keep what they're doing. They don't need to push and be aggressive. Uh, but at the same time, if they start being too kind of safe, then that ends up also causing some problems as well, right? So it's almost like, you know, with the trap, you got to stick to the plan. You can't yeah. become overly, overly, um, you know, s- defensive. Um, so we'll see... How they're going to approach things? I haven't. I, maybe I haven't been paying much attention this week, but I haven't seen much of Poilievre this week. So I wonder if they decided hmm. um, let's let's uh, let's not fill the airways for a little while. Let's let uh, let's let's take the pressure off a little bit. If uh, you're the Liberals or the NDP for that matter, and you've seen 
kind of a not a weakness from Poiliev, but uh, a misstep from Poiliev last week. Do you say to yourself, okay, we have something. It may not have worked because it was a one-time event, but there is something to exploit there. Um, that perhaps talking about Ukraine and the polls show that many conservative voters are sick of hearing about Ukraine. Uh, they, 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 they don't feel the same. I don't want to say solidarity because that may not be the, the right word, but uh, this, that... Um, Those polls showing should Canada continue to support Ukraine. Uh, most Canadians say yes. When you break it down by party, uh, conservatives are on their own side there. They're mostly getting tired of Ukraine. Some of those are, you know, the, the fringe Trumpists, uh, the, the fringe uh, you know, populists. But there are also many isolationists that say Canada should not get involved, period. Um, and so perhaps this is a, a crack in the armor that the uh, Liberals and the NDP could attack Poilievan. But it seems like such a small issue. You don't win an election by saying we will mm -hmm. support Ukraine more than you do. That's, that's not, you know, I, I'm not sure that's, that's a long-term strategy, though. I think it's more of the character issue, um, the kind of interaction that with, the, with the, that reporter. Um, whether you agree with it or not, it's just kind of the way it comes off. And yeah. that character kind of issue. But also with Ukraine, you don't make it about Ukraine. You no. make it about ideology uh, being put ahead of, of, you know, pragmatism, right? That they weren't supporting a Ukraine free trade deal because it had some kind of mention of carbon pricing. Like, uh, I think that would be the strategy there. But, you know, if you're the other parties, you need a lot of help. You need oh, yeah. Poliev to keep <laughs> doing things like he had with that interaction with that reporter. Uh, once or twice... Like, like you said, it might, for, for supporters of him, might think that, you know, that's nice, uh, that he's standing up for himself, that kind of thing. Uh, but if, if it's a repeated thing, we have one of these every two weeks, every three weeks, yeah. then it starts to get the impression that, that Poilievre's, uh, uh, what was it that the UK Tories said, that they, they realized they had become the nasty party, and people didn't like that. Um, that's, you know, that would be the danger, I think, for Poilievre, because they spent all this money on an ad campaign trying to make him look nice, right? Yeah. Family man, his yeah. wife loves him, he spends time with his kid. Uh, you, like, when you have things ha that happen like that, it undermines the message that you're trying to put out, right? If Absolutely. the conservatives had had ads putting out that he was a pit bull who will stand up for you and, and will say what, the truth and will not you know, back down, then he would be reinforcing that ad. But the ads they put out were clearly trying to say that he's not those things, Yeah. Or he's not only those things, right? So it, it, the, the ads were their strategy. That was counter to their strategy. So clearly that wasn't what they want to happen. So we'll see if they're going to react to it. But And also whether we'll see any difference in the polls in the coming weeks. Hmm. Uh, and if not, then I think they'll learn the lesson that if they... Uh, that they don't need to change course, but maybe just make sure they don't open up these opportunities again in the future. It's a long time to be leading in the polls. Two years, it's a long time. It's just sometimes the alternative is, you know, you pick. You can play badly, but if your opponent is down and out, you can come out ahead still. Yeah. Uh, there was a Nipsos poll. Well, look at like Wab Canoe, uh, just, uh, just Wab yeah. Canoe in, in Manitoba. Yeah. They were leading for most of the time, right, yeah. over years and years and years. The election got close, and I think that could happen again here uh, federally, but... Sometimes when you're trailing that far behind in the polls for years, 
you lose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. as simple as that, right? Yeah, if you yeah. yeah, if your opponent plays the trap leading three one, most of the time you will lose that game. Uh, mm. But we we will remember the comebacks again. Uh, there was an episode, Paul Eric, um, that uh, tested whether Monsieur Trudeau should resign. Yeah. And uh, also, I found it interesting. They also had the numbers on potential liberal leaders. Um, and I saw the, those numbers. I have the charts right here in front of me. I need to make sure I get the right numbers. But these are not, none of these numbers are good news for the liberals, are they? <laughs> no. <laughs> Ooh. No. Anita Anand, Mark Carney, François Philippe Champagne, Mélanie Joly, and Christian Freeland. Christian Freeland had 25% positive impressions. Uh, that, that's the highest of the five names they tested. But most voters have no idea who these people are. And you know, if you don't know who Mélanie Joly are, perhaps you're not following politics much, or perhaps you and I are following it too much. Uh, <laughs> of well, course, that's probably true. Yeah, but Mélanie Joly is in Montreal. I live in Montreal. She's a former mayor candidate, so maybe that's why. But, yeah. uh, but uh, Anita Anan, I remember her as a vaccine, uh, as a vaccine lady. Now she's at the Treasury, right? Treasury. Yeah. Um, but but I think that's vaccine not... lady was her ministerial title. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. No, no, she uh, was procurement. That's what procurement. It was. Merci beaucoup. Yeah. That's that's what I meant. But now she's a treasury, which I don't think is a, a high-profile post, even though no, it's an important, it's an important post. one. But yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, these numbers are—I don't know—they don't. I understand why many liberals might be tempted to think that Justin Trudeau should step down because he has bad numbers. There's no obvious replacement for Trudeau here. No, and we've been saying that forever, and it it keeps being the case. Even though, like, and you could also take it from the perspective that. We've been talking now for at least four months about Trudeau resigning and potential replacements, and these numbers continue to be bad. It's not that, yeah. like, it's not like because we're talking a lot about Mark Carney that yeah. a lot of people have an opinion on him. They don't. A lot of people don't have an opinion on him. And Ipsos also asked, "How likely would you be to vote for the party if the next election?" I don't like. I don't like a question like that because I don't know what that yeah. means. Yeah. Um, if you already are likely to vote for them, does it change anything if you're never anyway? But when you compare the, 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 the names that were tested, you got the highest was 25% Chrissy Freeland. Um, and the lowest was seven, 16% Francois-Philippe Champagne. There's not a lot of difference there. I don't think people were really responding all that much to the names. Like there's just no figure that is like when Justin Trudeau became leader, in 2013, the next poll had them at 40%. Yeah. They were leading. And they yeah. led for... People always say that the Liberals came from yeah. third place. They yeah. were in first place for two years, and then they dropped in the spring of 2015. Like So people just reverted to the, to the Liberals being in first place. Anyway. But they, they, here, drop, they drop because, you know, yes. we remember the numbers, and Rachel Notley wins the NDP, uh, wins uh, with the NDP in Alberta, and then Thomas Mulcair became first place. So, yeah. Yeah, because Tom Mulcair was the Alberta NDP leader, and it all makes sense. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that Trudeau resigns. If Trudeau resigns, I bet you the numbers go up like three points. They get up to like 28%. Uh, but then one of these people becomes the new leader, and nothing happens. Party stays at the exact same level. They don't get this boost. Uh, and then that leader has to spend the next six months to a year to 18 months getting themselves back in, into the game and known, right? So... There isn't a there isn't a, a bolt on easy solution here for the liberals. 
I think that's the issue. And you know what? It's not just us. Um, I, for those who don't know, I, I get I'm not a journalist, but there is some journalism in what I do in that I meet people from every party and I discuss off the record. And so I'm not going to reveal details of discussions that I had last week, but I, I, I had a drink with somebody, uh, you know, in the Liberal Party. And um, he was kind of astonished that Poiliev had not self-destructed yet. And I was, mm. and I was astonished that he was astonished because I was like, "Have you followed uh, world news in the past decade?" You know, uh, Poiliev is following a playbook that has been successful in many countries, and uh, he's got. And, he, and the timing is right. Uh, I don't think Poiliev in 2020 would have, if let's say mm. he entered the race and won against Emmanuel O'Toole, would have necessarily fared better. But right now, there is high unsatisfaction with the government, and so he's banking on that, and he, as he should. Uh, but he he basically said, okay, if Trudeau leaves, what do we do? And I said, well, you have two choices. You have to find somebody that can win at least half of Ontario and 30 seats in Quebec. Otherwise, assuredly, you lose. Or, and it's sad to say and it sounds mean, but you find your own Kim Campbell to <laughs> absorb the next loss. And then you rebuild for the next few years. Uh, I, you, you and I have heard many stories in 1993. Uh, Kim Campbell was against Jean Charest, and many PCs were like, we have to keep Jean Charest for the future. He, we're going to lose this election. We cannot have Jean Charest lose so badly so that he's burned, basically. He's, he's finished. And uh, that's what happened. Kim Campbell bad, lost badly. I don't think they expected that badly. <laughs> and then Jean Charest became leader, and he kind of rebuilt slowly. I think he went from 2 to 20 seats. It was respectable, but... Um, so well, yeah, but would would you could also make the argument though that if people are upset with Trudeau, then having him be defeated would be better for the party because then they can kind of mm. build up from after that, right? Rather yeah. than have someone else come along and 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 take those hits. Now maybe Trudeau wouldn't want to do that, uh, but um, but I don't know. I feel like if if you want to make the case that. Uh, the, the the Liberal Party can rebuild afterwards. Maybe you need to have that catharsis of people defeating Justin Trudeau uh, yeah. for them to be able to move on. I don't know. Again, though, two years, lots can still happen. We can't assume, you know, um, we don't know what's going to come out of the U.S. presidential election, what impact that'll have, things on the economy. Uh, you know, who knows? By fall 2025, we might be in the midst of another NAFTA renegotiation like who oh, knows what's happening right so <laughs> so yeah we have uh, a bi- we have to have a bingo card for 2025 i was no, thinking I don't want more to. like that sounds bad <laughs> uh, like good. a lower interest rate lower inflation better sure. economy uh like there's housing so much on the rise still happen, right i don't know it's a short time but it's also lots of time you know to yeah. have those things happen um like the liberals aren't like it's not like inevitable that they'll lose, right? Uh, yeah. Which I think is a lot of how the discussion is. But it's like, you know, they they need to do a lot to get into a position where they can be competitive again. They need a lot to have to fall their way. Doesn't mean that they can't do it. And doesn't mean that those things won't happen. But all else being equal, and this is going to sound like the dumbest, most obvious thing to, be, uh, to say, <laughs> you'd want to be Pierre Poliev right now. You know, it, it's very much. It, you just, yeah, but I agree. You said it's not inevitable. That's true. But precedent says that the liberals are done. 
right? If you Probably. look at precedent, yeah. they're done. Precedent, yeah. Uh, so but there's it, always it, exceptions. Unprecedented things can happen. So, uh, yeah. but That's why anyway. people should stick with this podcast because we're going to cover <laughs> the ups and downs. <laughs> and yeah. Should we uh, go to provinces? I think we have a few things interesting to say, yeah. right? Did so, we have more things yeah. on the federal? No, I think that's good. Let's go to... Um, we, the, you know, there's two things I want to chat about for uh, the provincial scene, one being in Quebec. So on the weekend, we went to the Quebec Solidaire Convention in yeah. Gatineau, as we mentioned. Uh, so if you don't know, Quebec Solidaire is a left-wing party in Quebec. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's probably the most left-wing party that has representation in a, in a legislature anywhere in Canada. There was no it's doubt. An, it, no it's doubt. a sovereignist party. Um, it uses the color orange. And they have a system <laughs> where they have two co-spokespeople. They're not leaders. Because yeah. the model that Quebec Solidar has is very like grassroots. So the members decide and vote on policy and platform. It's not that the leader chooses which policies and plat- to put together in the platform. And so the spokespeople are... In a way, literally spokespeople for the movement of... of yeah. And they have a, a male one and a female one. The male one is Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois. He's been there since 2017. The female one was Manon Massé, who stepped aside. And then there was a leadership contest. Uh, so there's three women running. Uh, do you want to say what happened? Well, it was really close. And I, we had an indication how close it was. The vote was not from members. And there was no vote by mail or vote uh, or electronic vote. You had to be a delegate and on the spot. And there were about 600 delegates. Uh, and so it's a preferential ballot. And it went to the second round. There were three candidates, of course. It went to the second round. And the winner basically won by three votes. Yeah. <laughs> Émilie Zlessard-Terrien, former MNA. Uh, in Rouen-Noranda-Témiscamingue, uh, she lost re-election against the CAQ in 2022. Uh, she's holding on, and she she was campaigning against two MNAs, one from Sherbrooke and one from downtown Montreal. And again, she won by three votes, a very close race. And now they have an extra parliamentary co- co- uh, spokesperson, Émilie um, Zessartérien, her name is. So uh, I, I think it's an interesting choice. She was the best candidate at the debate. I was at the debate uh, on the convention floor. And again, it, the debate was watched. It was not on TV because it was four delegates that were there. And she by far was the best in the debate. And I guess when you win by three votes, that makes the difference. She would have lost otherwise. Um, I'm not sure what that may, that, that does for the future. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, I think so, that's the question. Yeah. What what does La Sartérien winning mean versus had it been uh, Gazal or yeah. Labrie? Is there a different direction because of her? I really don't know. Uh, it's a good question. It's just that Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois, the male uh, co-spokesperson, sorry, it's hard to say that, uh, yeah. is taking so much space in the media. He's, he's such a well-known person in Quebec from his days in the, uh, leading the student uh, protest in 2012 and then joining Quebec Solidaire and then winning and then becoming a, a spokesperson. That, uh, we'll see how they work together. But for now, this is still uh, Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois' party. Uh, I, the question will be, will the delegates select... Uh, Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois to be the uh, the candidate for premier for the next election, and will Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois be at the debate in 2026? We we don't know that. I, I think it's the it's the easy assumption to say that he will. 
Uh, I think it's a risky assumption. We do not know that. Delegates of Quebec Solidaire, they are not the average Quebec Solidaire voters. You, Eric, you said it's a, it's a left-wing party. The delegates are <laughs> really left-wing. <laughs> they are a motivated bunch. And so... Uh, Sometimes they can take decisions that can be risky, seen as risky or sometimes foolish, uh, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But it was an interesting place to be. Uh, it may get no far more interesting, I can tell you that. There. Oh, man, come on. <laughs> uh, so because I'm kidding, have, I'm kidding. We have <laughs> lots and lots of pull. Uh, we actually got to sit down with Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois. <laughs> we spent most of the time speaking in French and asking him questions. And if you wanted, you could listen to that interview on Le Shift Podcast. But we also had a few questions for him in English. And uh, let's play that right now. Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. A couple of questions for you. Uh, one being, there are a lot of Anglophones yeah. and Allophones, people who might speak English as their second language, yeah. who are progressives, yeah. but they might not be sovereignists. Yeah. How do you convince them that Quebec Solidaire is an option? Well, I think you have to build trust. And you have to build trust by showing concretely with, that, with those citizens, those electors, that, you know, we are an independentist party. But the project that we have is, in a lot of very key aspects for them, a very different project than the traditional project that has been promoted by, of course, the Bats Québécois. Uh, if we show that we are that the, those people can trust us, that we will never make compromises on the defense of rights and freedoms, on the defense of the, uh, on the fight against racism, discrimination. If we show that we are, that we, if we earn their trust on those very sensible issues for the, that electorate, I think a dialogue is possible on the idea of a project of independence. It's, it's a challenge. We, we will not do this in a few weeks or a few months. But I think such a dialogue is possible. Um, and I think that's the reason why, even today, in a writing like the Saint-Henri-Saint-Town, for example, a, not a majority, but a significant part of that electorate chose to vote for Quebec Solidaire. If it would be impossible, it would have been difficult for us to win such a neighborhood. There are a lot of voters uh, who support Quebec Solidaire at the provincial level, and they support the New Democrats at yeah. the federal level. Yeah. Um, you know, it's about a third of the electorate, I think, yeah. of, of your electorate. There is a lot of similarities, a lot of overlap yeah. between New Democrats and Quebec Solidaire. Yeah. What do you think about that? Um, our electorate is, at, on that issue, similar to our, uh, our, our membership. You know, a lot, of our, a lot of members of Quebec Solidaire are actually... Um, engaged inside the Bloc Québécois, others are engaged inside the NDP, and a lot of our members and our activists are just um, deeply uncomfortable <laughs> with federal politics because they're for independence, but also because those two parties have uh, big flaws uh, for a solidarity of mind. You know, the Bloc Québécois has done gestures that have really hurt activists in Quebec that fight against systemic racism, for example. Uh, the NDP uh, still has in its DNA a centralization reflex that is still very uncomfortable for a lot of Solidaire. The issue of dental care is an example. We've been fighting for a dental care plan in Quebec for years at Quebec Solidaire. It's one of our more popular promises. But when you see the NDP fighting to have a, a federal program on those issues, we're, we're put in a very difficult position because we're, we have to say to 
uh, are, uh, to, 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 to the NDP. You know, we are for better dental care for Quebecers, but this is not the job of the federal government. So those two parties have similarities, but also big flaws for us. That's the reason why when, elect, when, when federal elections come by, a lot of activists of Quebec Solidaire, maybe they go and vote, but they don't, uh, they don't, they're not engaged in the political process. And uh, we'll close on this. What do you think of Jagmeet Singh, then, as leader of the NDP? Oh, you know, um, <laughs> uh, I think uh, Jagmeet represents uh, something that um, a lot of people um, love into politics. He's a guy that is from, he has a very particular background. He has a trajectory in his life. That is, that is different. And a lot of people said that the, with his profile, he was going to be like unanimously rejected in Quebec. And it's not exactly the case. You know, the, 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 the. So I think it's, uh, his um, trajectory is one demonstration that you can have people with different background and different profile into politics and that Quebecers are able to, even if they may not vote for him, they're able to appreciate him. And that's a big lesson for people that think that Quebecers are hostile to politicians uh, that have the background of a guy like Jack Mead. <laughs> Gabriel Dubois, thank you very much It's for joining pleasure. us on The Numbers. We appreciate your time. I know we're bu you're busy. Uh, have a great, great convention. It's and thank you pleasure. again. What did you think of uh, what he had to say? Uh, I was surprised. I, I thought it was interesting what he said about Jack Mead saying. Well, you put him on a spot there because you don't want... I mean, if you're Gabriel Dubois, all sovereignists in Quebec... Uh, well, I'm not generalizing, but I think I'm on safe ground to say that many sovereignists in Quebec are wary of the federal NDP because of its uh, tendencies in the past to be a very centralizing force in, in federal politics. Now, whether that's fair or not, I'm not sure, uh, but... There's a lot of animosity, especially since the 2011 election. Uh, some Bloc Québécois people still haven't forgiven Jack Layton for what happened. And, and, uh, and so I know it's a long time ago, but there's animosity there. You put him on a spot because you cannot diss another fellow progressive politician. But at the same time, there's not much, um, aside from, again, progressive policies, that's not much... The Venn diagram of the NDP and the Quebec Solidaire—they're pretty separated. Uh, so it it was an interesting. I think he was really prudent his answer. Uh, but what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um, as you said, I, I'm not sure he he gets asked that very much because I don't think yep. that the kind of Quebec media that would talk to him a lot would think that much about the New Democrats and worry too much about it. But like my mind thinks about the overlap and the fact that as we you know mentioned in the polls there's lots of new democrats who vote Quebec solidaire there's lots of yeah. solidaire voters who vote for the NDP uh, so there is overlap there but it's like the two parties can't they almost have to pretend neither of them exist right yeah. because um, because the you know the They're each of them toxic for the other, right? Because Quebec's leader is a sovereignist party. doesn't make yeah. sense to be aligned with NDP. The NDP is a centralizing party that, um, you know, is not seen as being aligned with a lot of uh, uh, views in Quebec in terms of identity and, and stuff like yeah. that. And so the Quebec's leader can't be too close to NDP. But the two are similar. And like I said, like I said, Quebec's leader chose the color orange. They didn't need to. Um, so they have to wear mm. that, I think. But uh, anyway, I thought it was interesting. We'll see what happens with uh, La Sartérien and, and how much space she has. 
who ends up being the choice for who they put forward as the premier designated yeah. candidate because you can't you can't have two people be premier. Um, but anyway, the, it, it was uh, an interesting an interesting weekend. I think I'll so. S- I'll say this though: in uh, 2012, the Quebec Solidaire had one MNA. It was Amir Kadir, who had won in a previous uh, election. And uh, if my memory, if memory serves, they chose Françoise David to unelected MNA, uh, well unelected to go to the uh, leaders debate, thinking it would raise her profile, it would help her win, and she did win. So mm. could could it be that you know Quebec Solidaire, perhaps they'll know they won't win the election. They also know that Gabriel Dubois will win his riding of Gouin in uh, Rosemont in Montreal. So perhaps to help Émilie Lesartérien have a higher profile, they could choose her to be on the, on, the, on the debate floor. Um, again, I, it, it's 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 a it's a tough thing to predict what Quebec Solidaire delegates will do, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, one little word uh, on uh, the Ontario Liberals and That's what's right. happening in Ontario politics. So we're recording this on Thursday. Um, we are doing a live stream of the Kitchener Centre by-election results on Thursday night. So by the time you're listening to this, most of you will have already known what happened in the by-election. So we won't talk about that. We'll talk about it next week. <laughs> and on the weekend, we have the Ontario Liberal leadership. We'll find out who becomes the new leader on December 2nd. Uh, and again, we'll talk about that in next week's episode. This is a patrons-only episode. So if you want some Ontario politics coverage, uh, you'd have to sign up for our Patreon at thenumberspod.ca. Uh, I don't know. Do you have it? We did get a question about the Ontario Liberal leadership, uh, so we'll get to that in our mailbag. But um, I don't know what, what I'm. I'm. I'm between whether I think Crombie <laughs> wins on the first ballot or not. Uh, yeah. I know some people talk about this being closer and all this stuff, but I. I'm, I'm going to go put on a limb, go out on a limb, and I, I, I'm not sure if it's going to be that close. Do you? Uh, I'm just curious. What did you make of uh, the news that the turnout was actually not that great? Right? It was it like thirty thousand? Uh, it's it, did they put out the numbers? I didn't see any. I, I think I saw thirty thousand uh, members voted, mm-hmm. and I think it was a possibility around eighty thousand. Now, I'm not sure of, of those exact numbers, but um, I. Perhaps the. I'm not shocked the turnout was was low because it, you did have to get up and go, right? Right. You, you couldn't mail in your ballot, and and that's a that can be a bigger ask. People aren't as used to doing that. So, but again, I'm not sure who that benefits. Uh, I have no turnout's idea. low. Maybe if people think Crombie's got it in the bag, that's not good for her, and the other side's more energized. But it could be the opposite. If they think she has it in the bag, the other side's not energized enough. So. All right, let me ask you this then, because you know Ontario politics more than I do. I follow it, but you know you, you're just on the other side of the river there. Uh, who do you think the PCs want the Liberals to choose, and who do you think the Ontario NDP wants the the OLP to choose? Uh, well, like if I was being mean, I'd say that the PCs would want <laughs> it to be like Ted Shu, just because. Uh, Ted Shu is not as well known, and he doesn't seem like a retail politician. Every time I've seen him or hear him speak, he sounds like the nicest guy. Like yeah. I, he, I want to be his friend. Like he sounds so pleasant and everything like that, which is terrific. That's what we should want in our politicians, but that's not generally how you know nope. things go in elections. So, but if I'm thinking, if like, but let's just be more strategic. I would think that they would want it to be Nate Erskine Smith, the PCs, because then they can paint him as being 
too far to the left. Um, you know, he's taken positions in the past that have been uh, a bit more radical than the liberals have generally been. Uh, so I think that would be easier for the PCs in order to yeah. paint him as like a downtown Toronto. You know, I think that would probably be their best best approach. And for the New Democrats, uh, again, if they're just talking about strategically, I think it would be Crombie because they can say that he, she's Doug Ford light. Yeah. Uh, has this, you know has skeletons in the closet when it comes to developer fundraising and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think both of them should probably be more afraid of Crombie. I do think, I know a lot of people have some issues with, um, you know, uh, some of that stuff, like with the fundraising, but she's from the GTA. She's a good retail politician. I think she lines up really well with Doug Ford on a debate stage. Uh, I see her as being a bigger threat to the PCs. And if she becomes the person who can defeat the, the PCs, that makes her a big threat to the NDP. Here's the thing for those uh, Ontario NDPs, rightly or wrongly, whether you like Miss Crombie or not, or her policies or potential policies, um, you just said that she will be painted as Doug Ford light. Well, I'm sorry, for Ontario voters, but Doug, many Ontario voters would vote for Doug Ford light. Look at the numbers, <laughs> yes. right? So it's like, yeah, you, you may paint her like something like you don't want, but... Uh, <laughs> Ontario voters gave Doug Ford two majorities uh, and uh, a Doug Ford light could be the best remedy to a Doug Ford in, uh, come 2026 uh, again, rightly or wrongly I'm just looking at the numbers uh, so I, I, I think you're right I think it's Crombie that's the most dangerous for both uh, we, there was discussion in 2022 you remember this Eric of the pro progressive primary right? who's going to yeah. stand out between the OLP and the NDP as the the best option to beat the PCs, while, while at the same time the PCs were doing their best to keep both parties tied, and they both ended up just below 24%. If we can just skip right now to the mailbag, uh, one of the questions, and I'd like to mention it right now, so NLC's Milk, <laughs> whatever that name is, uh, welcome <laughs> to the Discord, Ask over under for the Ontario Liberal leadership. I'm guessing he says the first round. Uh, so yeah. if I put the line, oh, I'm going to put you on a spot here, my friend. I put the line at Crombie's support in the first round at 50%. Over <laughs> 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 under. Yeah. See, I, I, I think I'll take the under. I wrote Ooh. something on uh, the writ.ca. Uh, yeah, go. It's a stuff. really good site. Go see it. Yeah. yeah. Um, looking at past leadership races. And generally, if you get over 40% on the first ballot, you usually win. If you get over 44%, there hasn't really a lot of cases. There are no recent cases of getting over 44% on the first ballot and losing. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking it'll be more like that. I, I think she's going to win. Again, maybe play this back and we'll look really stupid next week. Um, but I think she's going to win. <laughs> But I wouldn't be surprised she ends up at like 47 mm. on the first ballot. But I, So I would take the under on 50. You know what? I agree, but just for kicks and so that I can be right and put it in your face, I'll say perhaps we're missing something and she's going to have 59% on her first ballot. And perhaps we're trying to build a story and the inevitable thing is that she's going to win. So I'm going to say over, slightly over, but that's still over. So, Okay, how about this? I'll give you an over-under. Okay. Over under 
Nackveer Erskine Smith. On the who first is, ballot? Who is over, who is under? I would say um, Nackveer Smith would be second place, I think. Um, but. Well, who's, who's second? Uh, Nate. Uh, okay, sorry. okay, you said Nackveer Smith. So yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> That's a good way. Huh? Both ways. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think uh, the uh, the MP from uh, yeah no I think he's going to be second place. But again, it, like we haven't seen many numbers. I'm surprised by the way no. because we've uh, I, there were polls uh, when um, uh, Del Duca won. Uh, yeah, usually get some like rate. internal polls or something yeah. that are leaked, right? And I don't think we've seen many of those, and no. uh, and so we, we we're fl- yeah. yeah we're flying blind here, but. Impressions, I think. Uh, I, I, what do you think? Second place or third place for Nate? I feel like Erskine Smith has been portrayed as the second candidate, so I feel like that probably benefits the most. Uh, but, you know, when you're talking about the way that the system works, it's Toronto, uh, each riding is equally weighted. Um, so uh, Erskine Smith has some competition in Toronto, I guess, with with Crombie, I suppose. Um, Nackby is from the Ottawa area, so he probably has the Ottawa riding is pretty pretty tied up yeah. uh but then you know shoe is all Kingston, six of them so yeah hmm. yeah so i don't know i i i th- i'm thinking it would be erskine smith he's raised more money than nackley um but you know shoe has actually raised a decent <laughs> amount of money i wonder if he ends up just surprising everybody i did say Nagby he'll be smith, everybody's huh? second choice though i bet <laughs> sorry i did i'd say nackley smith just to try to sneak under yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah we're actually just, the same person have oh, you yeah, seen them was, together yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd be right either way. Okay, let's stick with Ontario politics. We got two yep. questions uh, on the Patreon. So as mentioned, we take questions from uh, members of our Patreon in the Discord, which you can join at thenumberspod.ca. So we got one from Bob, uh, who said, um, and he's and, you know he's referring to the projections ahead of my site, but on yours as well, the PCs would more or less win the same amount of seats that they had in the last election. He said, uh, despite many scandals, including recently the Greenbelt scandal, any sense of why the PCs you know, have been able to maintain their support? Uh, how has the leader of the NDP changed things, Merritt Stiles, if at all, and whether the Liberals will be able to shake anything up? And then NJ kind of followed up on it, and he said, do you think Ford's strategy when he comes out and apologizes for his missteps, scandals, has helped him, or is it just that it makes people a long time to get fed up? And he used that the Liberals have, you know, federally, it seems like finally the, the being fed up has caught up to them. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on the general status of Ontario politics and why it is as it is? You know what? I, I think there's a lot of parallels between Ford's PC and Legault's CEQ. And if, in first last five years, we have seen François Legault you know, adjust and saying he's humbled and that he listens mm-hmm. to the population. And it really sounds like Doug Ford, basically. They're, they're having yeah. the same uh, PR strategy uh, when they have uh, fumbles. Uh the thing is, with Legault, lately, it's not working anymore. Yeah. <laughs> At some point, time runs out on you. I'm not sure time has run out on, on Ford yet. Uh, the numbers that we had, of course, it's been a while since we saw an Ontario poll. I'm guessing before yeah. Christmas we'll see some more. Uh, but the PC brand is so strong that if you have a Liberal and NDP almost died, the PC is always going to come back on top. And so, you know... The PC brand is stronger than the Ford brand, I think. Um, and uh, to answer Bob's question, why with the Greenbelt scandal? Because I don't think many people think it's a scandal. Uh, those who think it's a scandal already don't vote for Ford. Uh, so, 
And if, I don't want to go back again to the turnout in Ontario, and I won't, mm -hmm. and I won't. But many people don't pay attention to this stuff. Uh, they pay attention to this stuff when it affects them personally. And I don't think the Green Belt scandal was one of those cases. So with all things being equal, the PCs will always get at least their lower 30 level of support. And uh, as for Merit Style, I, I think she's been, uh, you know, boring and and inefficient and the NDP still is, is stable so I guess she's not that bad uh, it's really the liberals who I wonder if they crumble then we have a, uh, we have a race and if they do well then we have a race but if they stay stable it's, it's just going to be same old same old I don't see uh, I don't see the numbers moving in a short term I, a few things so for me the Legault um, comparison I think is is good because François Legault has had a, a rough few months, mm -hmm. and he admits some mistakes. But then, instead of saying that I've learned, I'm not. He more or less has done over the last few months. You didn't like that. What about this? Yeah, you <laughs> know, <true>. That's you <laughs> didn't like that that I went back on this. So what if I went back on it again? What if we bring the kings to Quebec City? What if we do? Whereas Ford has just more or less been. You're right. We screwed up. We'll, we're going to just reverse that. And then they don't come out with something different. You know, they don't try to. I, they revert to, I think, Ontarians' position, which is status quo as much as possible. Um, yeah. So I think that is why it might have worked for Ford. And again, I think it comes down to how people perceive him as a well-meaning oaf, like not to be mean to him, but they don't see, I don't think they see him as like an evil person who is mean and, and bad and wants to do bad things. They see him as someone who... Is bumbling? Basically. Is not, is not, is not smart enough to realize he shouldn't do these things. <laughs> I'm not saying that's what he is, yeah, yeah, but I'm yeah, saying yeah, yeah. that's how I think a lot of Ontarians see him. Yeah, as as like your 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 uncle who uh, you know is really affable and kind of says weird things sometimes, but you know he means well so everybody forgives him. And I think that is just a strength that he has. It's the yeah. weirdest strength to have, but it's a good one in an election. For the other ones Merit Styles uh, I really don't... The, the issue is, in Ontario, opposition leader is probably about the least known person in Ontario. <laughs> like, <laughs> honestly. Uh, yeah. Andrew Horvath, after being there for so long, still yeah. had about a third of the electorate who didn't know who she was. So Merritt Styles, I think, is just a non-entity, and I, and I don't mean that personally. I think that for Ontarians, she's a non-entity, and she yeah. will be until the next election. It's just the way it is. And for the Liberals... I think what's what's significant about the potential for Bonnie Crombie is that she is known, especially for uh, people in the GTA. So I think that changes things a lot. Whereas, you know, when Stephen Del Duca became leader, who no one knew who Stephen no. Del Duca was, right? Yeah. They still don't uh, no know. One, they, still they still don't, don't know. Today. know. <laughs> no. Even the people in Vaughan, they can't name the mayor. Uh, like, so I think that's it. Uh, but I, I, I think the liberals do have the opportunity to shake things up a lot. But... In between election polling in Ontario is is really tough. It's really hard to know what's real and what's not. Um, in a way, you almost have to be like, let's wait and see what happens in twenty twenty six. There's not. Yeah. All right. If, let's. Uh, if I may, just just for a second here. Yeah. Uh, I was way too old when I was finally told by someone, you know, it's Vaughn, not Vaughan. <laughs> As a francophone looking at maps and writings, I always said Wagen. And at some Wagen? point, somebody told me, you know, it's Vaughn. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't. I, I'm ashamed to say how old I was when I discovered this. So anyway, oh, an, a, another no. question from the Discord. Izzy is asking, what do you feel is the likelihood of conservatives in the next election, federal conservatives, getting a higher popular vote than Moroni got in the 88 election? And that is 43%. Moroni went from 50% in 84 to 43% in 88. Uh, it's been, I'm well, sorry, is that, just, is that just a cat? Is that a cat yes. that I'm hearing? <laughs> She is playing with this ball. Oh, there you go. Throw it. Throw She's, it. Uh, it's cute. Uh, yeah, but you know what? She never plays with that ball. She's only doing it because I'm, I'm doing this. Mm, I anyway. see. Yeah, she wants attention. Um, but what do you think? Yeah. Uh, Poilievre above forty three percent. Is that ha- have? Is, has there been a poll that had him at forty three? Uh, the highest I think was forty two. Forty two. The yeah. highest. Yeah. And I mean, I think the, the the conservatives will beat their polls as they usually do. Uh, but that means they probably need to be at 41, 42. Mm. I have a lot of trouble seeing anybody getting 41, 42% of the vote. I just feel like we're too polarized and regionalized. And yeah. I, I'm i not, sh- like, again, you can play this back to me in, in two years. But mm-hmm. I really think it's really hard now with the block being there, with the Greens taking a portion of the vote, PPCs taking a portion of the vote. I think mm. it's really hard for anybody to get over 40% in an election. So I'm going to say I think the likelihood is 10%. Hmm. I would tend to say the same also, but all these polls, especially look at the Leger poll, uh, the conservatives are leading right now among young voters, and that's not good for uh, to beat your polls. That's not a good recipe to beat your polls. So, yeah, uh, But again, is 41, 42 possible? Yeah, it is possible according to the numbers we've seen. So, uh, We got a question on the Discord from GK... Oh, three, which is about the NDP floor opposition, whether the liberals and we kind of answered that. So I'm going to say that we preemptively answered that question. GK03. <laughs> um, and so we get a lot of questions every week. And I think, as I mentioned on the discord, we might save them for a future episode, mailbag episode in January, because yeah, uh, we agree. might not have that much to talk about. So I feel like we're already pretty late in the podcast. It might be time. It might be time as you blow your nose. Oh, yeah. To go Let's to the this. quiz. Let's do this. So, okay. So, for those who listened to the previous episode, it was a members-only episode, I finally got Eric to lose a quiz, but barely. And the quiz was easy. Basically, I take a le- Canadian election. That was election. two episodes ago. We didn't, that was we didn't two do elections a, ago? one on the last one. Oh, yeah. that's yeah. right. That's right. Okay. So, oh, so yeah. it was a public episode. So basically, yeah, I yeah, gave yeah. I gave um, Eric three choices of parties in, a, in during a general election. And the question is simple. Give me who had the most seats. I do not tell Eric right away if he's right or if he's wrong. I take the numbers. And at the end, I tell him his score. There are seven rounds. To win, he has to get six. Five is considered a tie, and before five, it's considered a loss. And I will give Eric a chance to change his answers once I give him the score. Uh, we'll go through this. It's the same format. I don't know format. if I'm going to do that again. Last time, <laughs> I, I, I made you, more mistakes. You did change a bit right I'm answer to the wrong answer. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So, I have the themes for a few. There's seven rounds. It's going to go fast. So, okay. okay. Are you ready, my friend? I am ready. Round number one. René Lévesque's Parti Québécois in 81. Jacques Parizeau's Parti Québécois in 94. Or Lucien Bouchard's Parti Québécois in 98. 
who had right, so the who most won seats. the most seats? That's right. Uh, I think that the Parti Québécois won 81 seats in 81. No, that can't be right. It's because that's the year. Uh, that's but the they year. did do well. We got 50% of the vote, and it was the best they ever did. Just below 50%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the National Assembly might have been a bit smaller. Uh, 94, they did well. And, and then in 98, they it was more or less the same result. I think that the 1981 election was the best ever for the Parti Québécois, so I'm going to say it was the 1981 election. Okay, so René Lévesque punching that in. Okay, round number two. Bob Ray's Ontario NDP in 1990. You may have heard it. Oh, yeah. Ed Stelmach's Alberta PC in 08. Or Jean Charest's Quebec Liberals in 2003. Who won the most seats? What's the theme there? Uh, the government? The, this one, no, there's... Well, didn't win one. well, this one, there's no theme. <laughs> Close okay, results. Let's try to trip up Eric's theme. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the Bob Ray's... Uh, NDP won 70-something seats. Um, Charest won as well, I think, 70-something seats. Oh, what, what did you look at that? Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so in Alberta, the amount of seats is currently 87, and I think it was probably similar then. The Liberals were under Kevin Taft, and apparently nobody wanted to, either of them to become Premier and turnout was like 40%-something. Um <laughs> But in terms of who won the most seats, I'm going to say it was, oh, oh boy. Uh, I'm going to say it was Ed Stalmack because I think that the Liberals didn't do well enough to, because I think the in Ontario and, and, and in Quebec, I think the other parties won enough seats to bring the numbers down. Okay. Anyway, Ed Stalmack, 2008, Alberta. I punched that in. Okay. Round number three. Now there's a theme. I'll let you decide. I'll let you guess right. what the theme is. You ready? Gary Dewar's Manitoba NDP in 99. Gary Dewar's Manitoba NDP in 03. Or Gary Dewar's Manitoba NDP in 07. You may have caught the theme. The theme. I think the theme is... <laughs> Gary Dewar. Um, <laughs> hmm. Who won the Now, most? did they go up or down? That's interesting. I don't know. Or I maybe they went up know. and then down. We don't know. So, Yeah, I'm going to say that, uh, let's see, 1999, I don't think that would have been the biggest one. They defeated the PCs. They got reelected in 2003. They got reelected in 2007. I think I think they were increasing. So I'm going to say it was 2007. 2007. I punched that in. Okay. Round number four. Is there a theme here? Ah, maybe. Jacques Parizeau's Parti Québécois in 89. Lynn Metloyd's Ontario Liberals in 95. Or Linda Haverstock, Saskatchewan Liberals in 95. So the theme is uh, parties that lost, basically. Yeah. Uh, okay, so all of those, they formed the official opposition, I think. Um, There's a team. Yeah. Uh, oh, these these would all be in the 20s, I believe. Somewhere in the 20s. Maybe the 30s. I'm not gonna, I don't think it would be the Liberals in Saskatchewan. Uh, I think the NDP won a large enough win in 95. 
because um, that's when the PCs completely started to collapse. Uh, and, jeez, uh, Parizoda, Burasa won a big victory in 89. Yes, he did. Um, and McLeod in 90, he said it was 95, eh? 95, so it was uh, Mike Harris winning. He won a big win in 95. I'm going to say it was... I'm going to say Jacques Parizeau, 1989. All right. I'll punch that in. Round number five. This one as a team, but you won't. we'll only know it when I tell you the answer. So. Mm. Howard Hentons, Ontario NDP, in 1999. Okay. Brian Mason's, Alberta NDP. Oh, sorry, sorry. That's sorry. No, 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 no. That's wrong line. Sorry. Howard Hentons, Ontario NDP, stays. Camille Thériault. New Brunswick Liberals in 99. Or Francis McKenzie, Nova Scotia. Uh, I guess it's Liberal. I didn't, I didn't punch in. 06. Yes, yeah, Liberals in 06. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Howard Hampton and the NDP would usually win around 12 seats or something like that. And at Terriot, that was Bernard Lord coming in in 99. And mm-hmm. Lord won, I think, 42 seats. Uh, so I think that was 13 then for the Liberals. Uh, I don't think Hampton had won more than 13 seats, so I'm going to say that it was Terriot. But then, again, I'm not as familiar with the Nova Scotia elections as I should be. Uh, 2006 would have been a minority government. The NDP was doing okay. Uh, I'm going to say it was Terriot and the New Brunswick Liberals. Camille Terriot, punch that in. Okay, round number six. Andrew Weaver's BC's Green in 2017. Okay. Brian Mason's Alberta NDP in 2012, an election that I think you know well, Alberta 2012, oh, yeah. or John Gerard's Manitoba Liberals in 99. So the theme here is not too many seats. No. Okay, so I know that Andrew Weaver and the Greens won three seats in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, Gerard would have, wouldn't have won three, so it would have been one or two. Then how many did Mason win? I think they might have won four in that election. Because uh, that was a one where they, both the Liberals and the NDP dropped to like 10% of the vote. But the NDP still had like some support in, in, in Edmonton. Rachel Notley and, and Mason mm-hmm. would have been elected. And mm-hmm. So I'm going to say it was Brian Mason and the Alberta NDP. Okay, punch that in. All right, last round. Round seven. And this one has a theme for the for listeners, I had a drink or many drinks with Eric last weekend, and he told me how much he loved the uh, between war elections. <laughs> so this is the theme. You ready? Yeah. William Lyon Mackenzie King's Liberals in 1921. Okay. Archer Mahan's Conservatives. Mahan. Yeah. Mahan. All right. Mayen. Archer Mahan's Conservatives in 1925, or. R.B. Bennett's Conservatives in 1930. Who won the most seats? Okay. Well, and this is 25? your choice. This is yeah. your pick of periods, so you should get So 1925 this. was a minority, um, so I don't think it would be that. Uh, liberals were able to continue governing with the support of the progressives. King in 21 also won, I think it was a minority, but it lasted for the full four years. I think it was like a 
almost minority. Mm-hmm. Bennett won a big win in 1930. He won a majority government there. Uh, that was during the Depression. So I think it'll be R.B. Bennett in 1930 who won the most seats. So, all right, punch that in. Are you ready? Yeah. Your score is five out of seven. And, it, <laughs> and so that means we're going to overtime. Oh, no. Do I you think f- last time I made myself worse. <laughs> I feel like I should take the tie. You take the tie? Rather than try to win. Is there one that you remember that you'd like to revisit? I could rename the parties if you want. Um, so the first no, round one was the PQ. You chose René yeah. Lévesque. You keep yeah. that? Yeah. Round two was Bob Ray, Ed Stelmack, and Jean Charest. And you chose yeah. Ed Stelmack. Do you want to keep that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Round three were the three Gary Doers victories. 99, 03, and 07. You chose 07. Yeah, that? I think I'll stick with that too, yeah. Okay. Round four was Jacques Parizeau's PQ in 89, Lynn McLeod's Ontario Liberals in 95, or Linda Haverstock's Saskatchewan Liberals in 95, and you chose Jacques Parizeau. You want to keep that? Oh, I'll go to hesi- McLeod. I'll oh, go to hesitation. McLeod. You go Ontario. to McLeod? Okay. Yeah. Round five was Howard Hampton's Ontario NDP, Camille Thériault's New Brunswick Liberals, or Francis McKenzie uh, Liberals in Nova Scotia in 06. You chose Camille Thériault. Do you want to keep that? Uh, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. I'm going to switch the to the Liberals because it was like a three-way race and it was a minority. So I'm going to say that maybe they got more than 13 seats. You mean in Nova Scotia? Yeah. Yeah. So Francis McKenzie. Uh, the f- round six, was, the theme was not too many seats. It was Andrew Weaver's BC Greens in 17, Brian Mason's Alberta NDP in 12, or John Gerard's Manitoba Liberals in 99. And you chose yeah. Brian Mason. You want to keep feel that? feel good about that one. I feel okay. good about that one. Uh, and your, the last one was your theme. You chose R.B. Bennett in 1930. You want to keep that? Yeah, I think so. I think they did pretty well in that election. Okay, so here's the final tally, my friend. Your score is 5 out of 7. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you are correct that Lynn McLeod's Ontario won 30 seats to Jacques Parizeau's 29 seats. So you changed it correctly. But I Camille Thériault... Camille oh, Thériault won 10 ah. seats, and Francis McKenzie won 9 seats. And, oh, and he only the, won 10. Yeah, okay. yeah. And the other one you got wrong, my friend, you underestimated Jean Charest in 03. He won 76 seats. Ed Stelmack won 72. So mm. it's a tie, but you know what? It's still pretty good because this is a tough quiz. So Well, I did better than last for, time. Good I for you, better my than friend. Last time. Was I correct <laughs> that Brian Mason won 4 seats? Um, Andrew Weaver, three, Brian Mason, four, and John okay. Gerard's Manitoba Liberals, one. So you nailed that perfectly. Yeah. So. Okay. René Lévesque won 80 seats, Jacques Parizeau, 77, and Lucien Bouchard, 76. So, okay. Oh, and Gary Dewar. He went from 32 to 35 to 36. So okay. you were right. Yeah. See, I remember that down. they kept on going up, because then I think even in 2011, Selinger won 37. I think Which is impressive, right? Impressive. Yeah. Go against the grain of time, huh? Anyway, yeah, congrats, yeah. Eric. You did very well. All right, I'll take I'll take a tie. Yeah. After last last week's or uh, two weeks ago debacle, I will take a tie. <laughs> All right, number of the week. What do you got? Sixteen percent for the Justin Trudeau Liberals. 
among young voters in the last Leger poll. Poiliev is at 37%, 33% for the NDP, and only 16% for the Liberals. This, I mean, we, we have to be careful with cause and effect here, but cost of living, the cost of housing, has to weigh down far more on the young generation than on older voters, and I think this is what's causing it. Justin Trudeau, has, they have two years to fix that. I It's hard to fix that in a short time. But if Justin Trudeau is at 16% with young voters, ooh, it's going to be hard to repeat a fourth time. What are the kids like these days? What, what, what could they do? <laughs> you, TikTok you, or you something? Teach, I, yeah, yeah. You teach kids. What are they like? I have no idea. Man. They're always <laughs> on their phones. And I, seem like, I sound like a grandpa saying this. I love the kids that I teach to. So I, 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 I know that the cost of living is really hard on them. So... Uh, I know, again, it's not entirely the Liberals' fault, let's be realistic, but if the Conservatives were in power, uh, the NDP and Liberals would be all over the Conservatives because of cost of living, so oh, it's fair sure, game. Of course. It's fair game. Uh, mine is the number I mentioned earlier, and it's 44. Over the last 25 years, uh, parties who have a one-member, one-vote kind of system where it's not delegated, 44% on the first ballot. If you get at least that, you end up winning. So I think for Bonnie Crombie, if she gets at least 44%, then she's as good as, as having won. And uh, I'm not sure if I'm 100% correct on this, but I do think they are counting individually between rounds somehow or something like that. So it's not. I'm not sure if they're going to come out with results like five minutes, five minutes, five minutes uh, on each subsequent round. So if there is some time in between and you're wondering whether Bonnie Crombie is going to win or not, if she got over 44% on the first one, I think she's going to win. Very interesting. Hmm. Yes. All right. Well, that'll be it for this week's episode of The Numbers. Uh, we're going to get tired of each other. We're doing a live stream tonight. Uh, <laughs> we, we met up on the weekend. We had oh, it's so good. Shift. You're a good company, yeah. man. You're a good oh, company. Good. good to hear it. All right. If you don't want to miss <laughs> next week's episode of The Numbers, uh, we'll talk about the Ontario Liberal results, the by-election, all sorts of stuff. Uh, who knows what else comes out. Uh, you can join our Patreon page at thenumberspod.ca. And if you become a member, you get early access to the episodes on Thursdays. And you can take part in the Discord and the Patreon where we have uh, very nice discussions. It's my favorite social media now. Oh, yeah. Uh, if I have anything interesting to say, I usually go there now. I'm not going to the other places. Uh, and if you're already part of our little community, we thank you so much for your support. And Absolutely. we hope that that community is going to grow. So, Philip, have a good week. And I'll see you in a couple hours, and then we'll chat again next week. Absolutely. Merci beaucoup, Eric, and thank you very much, everybody. Thanks for your support.